there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. I want you to open your copy of the Word of God with me to the book of Genesis, if you will. And I want you to find Genesis chapter number 12. Now, you know Genesis. It ought to be easy to find. Uh, it is the book of beginnings, right? And what is a revival? People say they want revival. And sometimes I wonder if they really do, or if they just want to have a special meeting. Uh, a revival of what? What does that look like? How do you know if re real revival has come? Years ago, I heard someone say that a revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. might be good if you wrote that down somewhere. Revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. It's like pushing the restart button. It's like going back to first principles. That's what a re revival is. It is to go back to the foundational things, the basic things, and I don't know about you, the longer I live and the longer I serve the Lord, the more I realize it's the basics over and over and over again where I struggle. Now, the great failures of life are on those elementary things. And so the revival brings us back to obedience. Well, I think it's appropriate that we come to this book of beginnings uh, because it really takes us back to so many of the first things God revealed in Scripture. Now, specifically in the book of Genesis, what I want to do with you the next three days is study through the life of Abraham and Sarah. And uh, I'm going to tell you, full disclosure, why I'm doing this, because I've been living with Abraham and Sarah for the last three weeks. Uh, not for you, for me. Just devotionally, I've been reading, meditating. I was in Abraham's life this morning, later in the story and uh, praying my way through these passages of Scripture. And I'm just going to tell you something. I thought I knew Abraham and Sarah. Isn't it amazing how you can go back to the same portions of Scripture over and over and over again? And there's nothing new there, but it is perennially fresh. And as I've gone back through the life of Abraham and Sarah, the Lord has really worked on me about some things. And so if you'll permit me, what I want to do this week is simply preach and teach to you out of the overflow of what God's showing me right now. And pray that God will bring all of us to a new beginning of real faith in God and real obedience. And let's just see what the Lord will do with our lives like he did with his. And we come to Genesis chapter number 12 because this is really the beginning of the recorded story. Let's back up into chapter 11. I lay a little foundation, if we may. You do know chapter divisions are not inspired, right? So when God gave his word, it wasn't given in chapter and verse. For the record, I'm grateful for chapter and verse divisions. We'd all still be looking for Genesis 12 if we didn't have them. But you've got to read through them to get what old Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story. So let's begin at the end of chapter 11. I won't pause. I'll read right into chapter 12. Follow along as I read. Genesis 11, verse number 30. says, But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, 
and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now we have the beauty of, of retrospect. Well, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. so we... We're New Testament Christians. We look back. We got the whole story of Abraham. Even when I say his name, people say, oh, we know the story of Abraham and Sarah. We can see how it all turned out. How many of you know that when God said, leave your home, Abraham did not know how it was all going to turn out? He had absolutely no idea. Use a little sanctified imagination for a minute. Sit in Abram and Sarah's living room. Sit in their tent and listen to Abram say to his wife, we're, we're leaving here. Pack your things. Get everything together. We're leaving our home. We're leaving everything that's familiar to us. And she said, all right, where are we going? And he says, I don't know. Well, I mean, which direction are we going? We're, we're going through that wilderness right there. Well, where will, we, where will we end up? I have no idea. Well, how will we know when we're at the right place? God will tell us. I mean, can you imagine that conversation? How many of you wives can appreciate that conversation? I mean, you want to follow your husband, right? But honestly, we're going where? Into a land we do not even know, and yet this is the beauty of the whole thing. It wasn't that Abram was charting a course for his future and for his family. He was simply following God. And I'm going to tell you, when you follow God, you're always following the right leader. And so here is the beginning of that whole thing. You ever line up a bunch of dominoes and knock one down and watch the, the chain reaction? Well, this is step one. This is, this is the first little thing that set in motion, literally, what would not only change his family but would touch the whole world. Think about it this way. I just came back from, from Israel not long ago. And to this day, they're still talking about the effect of Abraham and Sarah's life. And here we are thousands of years later in this place studying the life of Abraham and Sarah and be, uh, being affected by their faith and by their obedience. And it all started on this day at this moment in history when Abram had his own personal encounter with God. May I tell you, every good thing in life grows out of an encounter with God. At some point, everybody in this room, look here, everybody in this room has to have their own personal experience with God. And immediately somebody says, oh, preacher, I've been saved. That's not what I'm talking about. No, no, Abraham was already a believer. Abraham already knew something about the Creator God. There had to be some context here for him to even hear the voice of God and follow the voice of of God, I want you to understand something. We're not talking about simply getting saved. We're not talking about simply being a person of faith. 
We're talking about going deeper with God, going higher with God, going further with God, taking the next step of faith and obedience with God. We're not talking about an event. We're talking about the journey of a lifetime. And that's why I can confidently look at everybody in this room who I do not know and tell you on the authority of the Word of God with certainty in my spirit that God has something for you this week. And that God has something for me. And I'm going to tell you why. Because every last one of us, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how much Bible you know, no matter how many years you've been in church, no matter how many revival meetings you've attended, every one of us has another step that God has for us to take with him. And that is why I'm coming to the story of Abraham and Sarah this week. And before we launch into these opening verses of chapter 12, I read the end of chapter 11 for a reason because I want you to see a name here. Would you mark it in your Bible? It is Abram's daddy. His name is Terah. Now, if I said to you, stand and tell me everything you know about Abram, most of the people in this room who've been around church any length of time could tell me at least two or three things about Abram. I won't put you on the spot, but how many of you could tell me something about Abraham and Sarah? Would you raise your hand? Sure, we something. All right, what have I said to you? Stand and tell me everything you know about Terah. I'd be interested to know. What do we know about Terah? We know he's Abram's father. We know that he came out of Ur of the Chaldees with Abram and Lot. In fact, it, it would seem that he was instrumental in them making the first step of their move. But when they come out of Ur of the Chaldees, they stop in a place called Haran, and they, they camp there for a period of time, and that's where Terah dies. And it is not until Terah dies that Abram finally departs and leaves from Haran and goes on further towards the land that God has for him. And I, I've just been meditating on this this week. What role did Terah play in this? And I'm going to give you what I've come to. You ready? I have no idea. I have no idea. Was he an encourager? Perhaps. Uh, was the old man a man that said to Abram, look, God told you to do this. We better do it. Come on, I'm going to help you. I don't know how far on the journey I can go with you, but I'm going to do all I can. By the way, some of us that have been saved a little while, been around church a little while, need to do the exact same thing with a younger generation that's coming along behind us. Look, friends, if you don't, who do you think's going to? somebody has to encourage the next generation to believe God and obey God and leave all the consequences with him. Maybe that's what Terah was. Maybe he was a real encourager and a helper on the first step of this journey. Or, or was he a hindrance? <laughs> Could it have been that Terah was the one who said, this is far enough? And they got to Haran and pitched their tent and the old man said, now, look, don't you think we've, we've obeyed what God said enough? I mean, my soul, we've already left home. Let me just show you something, all right, just for fun. Hold your place here. Put your left hand in Genesis 12. Don't lose your spot. We're coming right back. With your right hand, go all the way to the New Testament, would you please, to the book of Acts, chapter number 7. I want you to see uh, comparing Scripture with Scripture something in Acts, chapter 7, in the Sermon of Stephen. And people say to me, are you an Old Testament person or a New Testament person? And I say, yes, because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so they complete one another. And when you come to Acts chapter 7, you learn a little something about the story we're studying. Look at Acts 7, verse number 1. Then said the high priest, are these things so? 
Verse number 2, and he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he dwelt in, and this is the New Testament spelling of the place where they stopped, Haran. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Look at verse number 4. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. Could it have been that daddy had to die before Abram was willing to take the next step? It was in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Sometimes God has to get people out of our way so that we have a clear vision of the only one that really matters. So, so could Terah have been the great encourager? Come on, let's get this journey started. Maybe he was. Could Terah have been the holdback that said, look, let's not take this thing too far. Let's not get too ridiculous about the thing. Let's stop here in Haran. And God said, all right, that's far enough for you. And he removes him. And then Abraham goes on with the Lord. I don't know. But either way, here's the, here's the principle I've come to this week as it relates to Terah and Abraham. And it is this. Every one of us at some point must individually and personally take the next step with God. God can set something in motion in a family, but I'm just going to tell you something. You must individually believe God and obey God. Look, God can bless this church and work in the church family and set some things in motion, but at some point, I'm sorry, the Christian life is not a group sport. It is you individually walking with God every day. It is you individually doing what God has given you to do. And so, when you come to chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram. Would you take your pen and mark Lord and Abram? Now it's just the two of them. It's just the two of them. Somebody said, If I could just get the whole Christian experience down to just me and the Lord. I had an old teacher years ago named Frank Sells. I can still see him. Frank Sells was such a blessing. And uh, he was perfectly bald, and he would rub his head and teach the Bible. And I can see Frank Sells now, and Frank Sells said, no, you must not get the Christian life down to you and the Lord. You must get the Christian life down to one person. It's the Lord. <laughs> I like that. In other words, you've come to the place where you are one with him, whatever he says you're going to do, whatever he wants, that's what you want. What he loves, you love. What he hates, you hate. You, you see, it's the Lord. But I love the fact that when you come to chapter 12 and verse number 1, all the peripheral has, has faded away. Ur of the Chaldees is in the background now. Mesopotamia is, is, is fading away in memory. And Terah has now been buried, and now it is the Lord and Abram. Would you write this down somewhere in the margin of your Bible? The Lord and me. That's what we've got to come to. The Lord and me. I was reading again the story the other day of the man who wrote, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Do you know that song? Do you sing that song here? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. You know, that song was written out of great heartache. The man's fiancé drowned two days before their wedding. And he was heartbroken, devastated, moved to Canada, started over, met a young woman, Christian girl, fell in love, 
a week before they were married, she fell ill and died. Now, you think about this. He's, he's lost two fiancés now. At that juncture, he gets a letter. His mother's dying overseas, probably not going to make it. I mean, he's, he's at low ebb, and he turned to the Word of God and got alone with the Lord, and God really helped him and ministered to him. And out of that, he wrote those words, What a friend we have in Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Later in life, someone asked him, they said, tell us the story, tell us the background. How did you write that hymn? And they said all the man would say was this, the Lord wrote that between me and him. I like that. See, people even view a revival as it's the group. We're all getting together, and the preachers are going to come and, and preach to the crowd. And No, no, no. Look, get the preacher out of the way. Forget me. Forget my name. Uh, forget everybody else around you for a little while. Let me tell you what real revival is. Real revival is when we have our own experience with the Lord. It is not me and everybody else. It's not the Lord straightening out somebody else. It is the Lord and me. Let me give you three or four truths. Would you write them down here in the margin of your Bible? They all come from these opening verses of chapter 12. Here's the first thing. Uh, the Lord speaks. And that's so simple. Look at verse number one. Now the Lord had said. Do you believe God still speaks? I'm not talking about some spooky thing, some mystical kind of big booming voice in the middle of the night. That's not what I'm talking about. Do you believe that God still speaks? Some people have this idea, oh, that's a thing of the past. Nothing could be further from the truth. How, look, when you speak... What comes out? Words. How does God speak? God speaks through his, through his word. It's fascinating to me. Lots of people say they'd like to hear from God, and they never crack a Bible. There's a whole generation of people that if you said to them, would you like to hear from the creator of the universe? Oh, I'd love to hear from the creator of the universe. And they never open a copy of the word of God. Can I give you a little personal challenge this week? Don't just come here and listen to me talk about Abraham and Sarah. Why don't you take this section of the Bible and live in it this week? Why don't you camp with Abram and Sarah for a few days? Take Genesis 12 to about Genesis 25 and just, you know, what, 14 chapters or so and just live in them and let them live in you. It won't just be the preacher's voice you hear. The Holy Spirit of God will speak to you because the Lord still speaks. Certainly he speaks through, through the creation around us and he speaks through circumstances and he speaks through other believers and, and the many ways that God speaks. But if you really want to know how the Holy Spirit speaks to God's children, the Spirit of God always speaks through the Word of God. What is the Bible? It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the Spirit of truth. So all these people saying God spoke to them, but it has nothing to do with the Word of God and doesn't line up to the Word of God. That's nonsense. We must get into the Word and let the Word of God get into us. And the amazing thing is this. When I come to the Word of the living God, God speaks. I've written in the margin of my Bible next to where I put the Lord speaks. I wrote this down. Lord, speak to me. Would you, would you make that your prayer? Dear Lord, speak to me. It's like the psalmist praying in Psalm 119, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Look, I want open eyes to see what God wants me to see. I want open ears to hear what God wants me to hear. I want an open heart to receive what God wants to give me. Lord, speak to me. It's the prayer of Samuel in the middle of the night. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. 
Do you hear the music in this room right now? Shh, be real quiet. Do you hear the music in this room? Somebody said, that preacher's lost his hearing or lost his mind because there's no music in this room. Oh, yes, there is. And if you brought me a radio, and let me begin to tune the dial, immediately somebody would say, oh, we were listening to that station on the way in this morning. Oh, we recognize that voice. Oh, we, we know that song. Do you know the amazing thing? That music was here all along. But something had to get on the same frequency to receive what was already here. Don't tell me God's not speaking. God's God. God's always speaking. Who is Jesus? He is the word of the living God. Oh, yes, God is speaking at this moment. The problem is not that God's not speaking. The problem is there are very few people on this earth right now who are on the same frequency to actually receive what it is God is trying to say. Could I ask you a personal question this morning? Are you in tune with heaven right now? Is it possible we have gotten so in tune with men we are out of tune with God? Is it possible that we are so tuned in to, to political affairs and world events and even conservative news that we are not really in tune with the God of the universe like we ought to be. I'm going to tell you the people God speaks to, the people who say, Lord, speak to me. Do you know how this all started? You know we're in the book of Genesis, right? Do you know how all this started? With a word from God. You know, we preachers get pretty artistic sometimes, and we say the Lord flung the stars in space and carved out the rivers with his pinky finger, and that's not what he did, actually. Now, you should go back and read Genesis again. He just spoke. He just That's the power of the Word of God. He just said light, and there was light, and it was very good. That's powerful stuff. How do, you, how do you get saved? Do you know how you get saved? You're born again by the Word of God. That's powerful. You've made a new creature through the word of truth, through the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. How will it all end someday? I was studying Revelation again the other day, and I came to that section where the Lord returns. And by the way, we're returning with him. Anybody else looking forward to that? And when he returns and shows up for that great battle, do you know how he's going to put down the enemy? Somebody said, oh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough battle. No, he just speaks. It says a sword, the sword comes out of his mouth. What is that? He Look, the whole thing is going to end the same way the whole thing started, with a word from God. All God has to do is say it, and it's done. One proof of that is when we come back with him, we're all dressed in solid white. How many of you think that doesn't sound like camo? I mean, if we were coming back to a, to a, to a major battle where we had to be, you know, military strategists and, and ready to get in the trenches, how many of you think white linen garments is probably not the thing to wear? Somebody said, I wonder why we're all still in our wedding garments standing there at the battle. Because you're not going to fight in that battle. You're going to stand there and watch God speak one word and the whole thing will be done. I'm telling you from Genesis to Revelation, from start to finish, it is the word of the living God. And everywhere in between, men were willing to let God speak to them. They saw God work. God always works through his word. You want to see God work this week? Then do not put your confidence in a man's sermon. Put your confidence in the word of the living God. And the beautiful truth of that is that doesn't just work during revival week. That works every day. Lord, speak to me. 
There's a second thing I want you to see in these verses. Not only that the Lord speaks, but secondly that the Lord directs. Do you see that? When the Lord spoke to Abraham, what, did, what does he say? Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So it is out and it is on to the place that I will show you. God is the one giving the directions. And I tell you one evidence that God is speaking. People are finding direction for their life. I don't know the people in this room, and to be honest with you, I've not even asked the pastor about people because I don't really want to know. Isn't that awful to say? But it's true. I like coming into a place and preaching what God gave me to preach without any thought of who I'm speaking to and let the Word of God be directed by the Holy Spirit and minister to needs. So I don't know anybody in this room, but let me just ask. I'm just curious. How many of you in this room would say, Preacher, I'm at a juncture in life where I need some direction for something. I've got some choice, some decision, something for my future, for my children, grandchildren, something that I'm trying to work through right now. I need a little direction from God. Would you raise your hand, please? Isn't that interesting? I'm looking around the room. That's nearly everybody in the room, and it's young and old. See, I thought, this is dumb, isn't it? But I thought that by this stage in life, all the big decisions will be behind me. Come on now. How many of you thought the same thing years ago? I mean, well, you know, once you get through college and, and you get married and you have your children and figure out what you're doing with your life and where you're going to live and then all the big decisions. No. Do you know what it is? It's a journey. It's a journey. And there's twists and turns and there's mountains and valleys and there's crossroads, and there's, there are moments where you just don't know which way to go. It's okay. It's all right. Let me help you. You don't have to know which way to go. God knows. And if you will let the Lord speak to you, this is beautiful, the Lord will direct you. There's a verse in the prophets that says, you'll hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Isn't that interesting? A word behind you. Why would the word be behind you? Do you know what the voice of one behind you is? It's the voice of one you can't see, but he sees you. And God says, you can't see me right now, and you can't see the future right now, but I see you. I got my eye on you, and I see the end from the beginning, and I know exactly which way you're supposed to go. And at every twist and turn, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left, I'm going to tell you exactly which way to go. I said to the preacher yesterday uh, that I live and die by GPS. I really do. When you live on the road and you travel all the time, I mean, the little woman that lives in this device, she's a big help. Except when she's not. Did you know that even the best GPS on earth doesn't always tell you the right way to go? I remember one morning, early, early, headed to a meeting somewhere, and I desperately needed a cup of coffee. How many of you know every meeting's better with a cup of coffee? Yes. And so I, I needed a cup of coffee, and it said it found a coffee shop, and I followed the directions perfectly. And I got off an exit and turned left and went two miles and, and, and turned left again and went half a mile or whatever it was. And my GPS proudly announced, you have now arrived at your destination. I was sitting in the middle of a cow pasture in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, somebody's laughing at me somewhere right now, you know. But the reality is you, you better be careful who you get your directions from. You know part of the problem right now? we got a lot of God's people getting their direction from people other than the Lord. Let me just tell you something. When you start taking your cues from culture instead of Christ, you're in trouble. 
When our measurement starts to be some other believer instead of the perfect standard of the Word of God, we're in a mess, people. And so the new beginning comes when we let the Lord speak. Oh, Lord, speak to me. And the Lord direct. Oh, Lord, I've written this in my Bible. Lord, direct me. I need direction this week. There's a third thing I want you to see. It is this. The Lord makes. Isn't this interesting? He says in verse 1, I'll show you. And then he says in verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation. Who's the one who, who makes us? Same one who made Adam from the beginning. Did you know that God spoke everything into existence except Adam? Adam and Eve, the only thing he didn't speak into existence. You ever think about that? Everything else he spoke. It was so. It was so. It was very good. When it came to man and woman, he literally formed them with his own hands. Oh, this is beautiful. You ready for this? From the beginning, the only thing that God shaped with his hands was man and woman to give us a picture that God always intended our lives to be in his hands. I love that. Do you know what God is doing when he's speaking and when he's directing? He's shaping. He's molding. He's making. Did you know right now God's working on everybody in this room? (laughs) That's fascinating to me. Everybody in this room. When I was a kid, we used to sing a little chorus, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And I'm standing here now as a 46, almost 47-year-old man, and that little chorus means more to me now than it did when I was five. You know why? Because praise be to God, he's still working on me. Getting out of my life the things that shouldn't be there, putting into my life the things that should be there, making me the person he created me to become, making me the believer he saved me for, making me the man he called me to be. And I've written in my Bible this, Lord, make me. Would you write that down somewhere? Lord, speak to me. Lord, direct me. Lord, make me. People talk about Abraham like he was some Great man. No, he had a great God. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you that in the next hour. But do you understand? It's not about what you can make of yourself. It's not about what somebody else can make of you. It's about what only God can make you to be. And I tell you what, I don't want to live and die and meet God without having allowed God to make of my life what he always eternally wanted to make of my life. Now, I've got to be honest. I feel like I'm a long ways from there. Any of you feel like you got a long ways to go? But I want you to know, if you'll let him, if you'll let him this week, God will make you a little more what he wants you to be. Anybody interested in that? Lord, make me. And then look at our verse again, verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Would you write this down? The Lord blesses. He blesses. And I've written in my Bible. Would you like to guess what I've written in my Bible? Lord, bless me. Oh, but please don't miss this. God never blesses you to bless you. God blesses you to make you a blessing. See, when God brings the blessing, it's not so you can be more comfortable and just have a warm, fuzzy feeling and say, wasn't that nice? No, no. It's not for you to be a depository. It's for you to be a tributary, a channel for the grace and truth of God. So look at verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Look, here should be our prayer. Lord, bless me and bless others through me. 
Did it ever dawn on you that God could work so deeply in your life that your children and grandchildren are the beneficiaries of that? Did it ever dawn on you that you could let the Lord be so big in your life that the people that work with you, go to school with you, and live next door to you could be eternally affected because of God in you? Not you. Not what you can muster up, what he puts in. See, Abraham didn't make himself anything. God made him. And Abraham didn't, didn't make, produce the blessing. God gave the blessing. Look, there's no shortcut to this, and there's no substitute for it. The Lord is the one who brings the blessing. And I've written in the margin of my Bible, Lord, bless me and bless others through me. I want that. Oh, I want that. You don't know my family. My Uncle James has been here to preach. Uh, but I really believe this. I believe so much of the blessing of God upon my life has had very little to do with me and has had more to do with the faithfulness and prayers of others. In fact, I, I'm convinced of it. And that's a humbling thing. It's good. to Remember, it's not us. It's all the Lord. And it's not because we deserved it. It's all mercy. Do you know what I'm praying now? I'm praying now that God will so speak to me and direct me and make me and bless me that Morgan and Isaac, our, our oldest, who are getting ready to have their first baby in just a few weeks, that they will know more and more of the blessing of God because of the blessing of God in Daddy's life. That Lauren and Grant, our, our younger two children, will know even more about God because they see God in their daddy and mama's life. Lord, bless me, but not for selfish reasons. May I know all the fullness of God so that my cup will run over and out of that fullness it will flow into the lives of everybody around me. Now, this is fascinating. Look at the last phrase of verse number 3. All families of the earth will be blessed. Now, you, you know we get pretty selfish. Did you know even revival meetings can be selfish? Sure they can. Even in a revival meeting, it can be all about, Lord, our church, our church, our church. Let's get beyond just our church and think about God's work in this world. Let's think about what the Lord's doing in this city, in this state, in this region, in our country right now. What is it we're really praying for? Is this for us or is this for him? Uh, this is powerful. A Abraham, God's got something big for your family, but it's not just about your family. God wants to work in you so he can work through you. And that same old Bible teacher, Frank Sells, years ago, referencing the life of Abraham and Sarah, I still remember, he stopped like he paused a moment and he said, have you ever prayed that God would make your family a worldwide blessing? And it just arrested me. And I thought, not only have I never prayed it, I've never thought it. And yet, do you believe that the same God who spoke and directed and made and blessed and made him a blessing could speak and direct and make and bless and make us a blessing and that this church could become a worldwide blessing? That your family could make an eternal difference in God's program in this world? Your life could invest and affect others and you'd meet that at the nail pierced feet of Jesus, at the judgment seat of Christ? People, I'm telling you, this is no small thing. This is not just another meeting. This is not just another little thought from the Bible. This is God's way and this is God's work and this is God's will for every one of us. We've got to get it back to it's just the Lord and me. 
And we've got to say, Lord, be thorough with me. Lord, do whatever you've got to do in me this week. My pastor used to say that nothing is real until it is personal. Isn't that true? So we can sing our hymns and listen to our sermons and say our amens, and it's still not real until it gets right down where we live and begins to affect us. I've marked in my Bible, would you do this? In verse 1, I will. In verse 2, I will. In verse 2, I will. In verse 3, I will. You almost get the idea the Lord's trying to say something, don't you? Not what you can do, not what I can accomplish. It is what the Lord can do. I will, I will, I will, I will. And I want to say, yes, Lord, do that. Look, I'm not Abraham. You're not Abraham. We are not Israel. The Abrahamic covenant is not our covenant. We don't operate under the Abrahamic covenant now. We're new covenant people. But I want you to understand something. We do have the same Lord. And when we see his character and how he works, it helps us understand something about what the Lord wants to do, not just in Abraham, but in me and in you. One little footnote before we pray. If this is true, that the Lord speaks and the Lord directs and the Lord makes and the Lord blesses, how many of you believe all that's true? Yes? Okay, if that's true, then my question would be this. What's our part? And the answer is in verse 4. I love this. So simple. We just kind of read it flippantly, but it was no light thing, let me tell you. So Abraham departed. (laughs) Would you write this down somewhere? My part is simply to listen and to believe and to obey. My part and your part is simply to say, all right, Lord, whatever you say this week, I'm going to do it. Whatever you want, yes. The answer is already yes. But I don't know what he's going to say. That's faith. But I, wait a minute, he hadn't filled in the blanks yet. He didn't have to fill in the blanks. You just give him a blank check and say, Lord, I'm all yours and I'm all in, and whatever you say, the answer is yes. Let's end with one New Testament verse. Go to Hebrews 11. The longest story in Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter, is the story of Abraham and Sarah. There's a divine emphasis here, but one verse will suffice. Look at Hebrews 11, verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, here's the word, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Would you mark in your Bible at the beginning of the verse, by faith, and at the end of the verse, obeyed? Because in the end, That's our whole responsibility, to simply believe and obey God. And if you will do that, I can guarantee you, God will do his part. That's the Lord and me. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.